Good afternoon, and thank you for joining the Lots of Matzah Pizza Podcast. Today we have a really great guest, Darby Hendrickson, Richfield, Minnesota native, played his youth hockey, high school hockey in Richfield, Minnesota. We'll learn about that, his college career, Olympic career, pro career, as well as uh, uh, his coaching career now with the Minnesota Wild. A lot of ground to cover in a short amount of time. It's going to be a blast. I hope you enjoy it. Love is a burning thing And it makes a fiery ring Bound by wild desire I fell into a ring of fire Well, 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 we have Darby Hendrickson here. How are you doing today, Darby? Doing good, Tony. You ready for to, having me on. You ready to jump in the ring of fire today? Let's do it. Uh, I got a lot of your friends have been on this podcast already. Pat O'Connor from the Minnesota, former Minnesota Wild uh, TV production guy, Scott Bell. And everything always comes back to Darby Hendrickson being a great guy. So you're going to have to lot you got a lot to prove today. Well, I'll do my I'll do my best. They're good people too. Good yeah. teammates, good people that you worked with and uh, um, that's what makes the game fun being around good people. Well, there's been a lot of good people in your life. We're going to try to touch on just a few of them. Let's get started right in uh, downtown Richfield. Uh, a little of my research last night, I was reading your top 100 player story about you and Danny, uh, you know, stealing, basically taking down the tennis nets, trying to get in a couple games of, uh, of uh, roller hockey. What was it like growing up in Richfield with a you know great neighborhood of kids to, to play the game with? I, it was great. Um... I, I say this to people, um, you know, and it's unfortunate Richfield doesn't have, you know, hockey anymore with numbers or, or some of the kids are now Southwest Christian, but, um, yep. we had, we had, we had nothing, but we had everything is, is what I try and say. Um, we, we definitely had equipment. Um, I mean, we didn't have the fancy cars, um, but we just, we, we always, we had a love for every sport, but hockey and hockey in particular. And I was fortunate to have a brother, uh, Danny. Um, our dad was a coach, so we grew up and we kind of just grew into this world of hockey. And uh, um, if we played, ba- we played baseball, we played football, we played the other sports, but we always had a inner uh, um, interweaving hockey part. And if it was in the summer, we were on rollerblades, like you said, in the tennis court, or playing street hockey. Um, and if we played a baseball game or a football game at the park, um, we immediately. Um, had a hockey game after. So it was always something we loved doing. And, uh, we had a great group of kids and we always had enough kids for a game, which made it cool too. But it just was great memories. Um, great place to grow up and, uh, um, proud to be from Richfield. That's what uh, I keep coming back to is uh, if always trying to find a game. I didn't care what sport it was, what season it was. We always wanted a game, whether it be, like you said, any of those sports, finding the game was, was half the battle. Once you got the game, the rest was downhill, right? Well, for sure. And, but we had, we had probably six, seven kids every day. And I mentioned not just hockey could be a football game or a baseball game that were there all the time. And, and they weren't like once a week, they were there all the time. So we were fortunate to have those guys and it's still fun um, to see those guys periodically. Obviously we all live in different places and do different things, but it's, it's fun to connect with those guys that we still do. And they're your core buddies. Um, They're the buddies you grew up with and, um, and, and eventually with our group, um, you know, a lot of those kids in that six, seven 
I think five of us, we all ended up making a state tournament, which was uh, really cool. And, and those are the guys you grew up with, you, you get competitive against, but in the end, um, they're guys you want on your team when you're trying to punch through to, to win a big game. So the leader of your team was your dad. I mean, we could just go through us. I just, I, I want to make sure that people don't know who know parts of your dad. I'm going to get a quick bio of your dad. He grew up in Minneapolis. He was a state champion football player, runner up in hockey in 59. Um, he was also a great high school hockey coach. Uh, he led Richfield to a runner up in 1976. Before that, he was an assistant. Um, he obviously coached the legendary state champion Apple Valley team in 96. He was a trainer for USA Hockey and the U.S. Olympic team, the North Stars, probably the Gophers, too, because he was best buddies with Herb Brooks. I mean, the list goes on and on, but I think one of his greatest claims to fame is at the end of his life when he started the Hendrickson Foundation. Yeah. No, he was a driver. Um, you know, he's a strong man. He was uh, meaning physically and mentally, but he we had a weight room in our backyard. Um, you know, he was built like an ox, but he, he, he was intelligent in terms of the coaching side. He had a real good psychology for the game, for people. Um, and, and I know people who ran across him. I mean, he, he could come across intense. Um, he had that personality. There's no doubt, but he had a real rational spiritual side. Yeah. Um, but he, he was, um, you know, he was, he, you know, as a young coach for him, I think he was just driven. He, he knew what he wanted to do. Uh, you mentioned some of the places he was at. So I, I just grew up at a coach and you were in the locker rooms, you're playing, he introduced the game to us. Um, and he had a real good balance for it. I mean, he for sure. Uh, knew how to push, but he also knew how to, um, I think, I think one of his best qualities was, uh, step back and let you figure it out and what, you know, if you wanted to play and, uh, um, but he did a lot of other things and he had a lot of, you know, he had a music company with these, uh, disc jockeys. It was a DJ. That's right. Someone told me Um, that. You know, so we, with the weight room, he opened that up to different athletes around the different cities that would come in and, um, he had coached Steve Kristoff and, some of the guys with the North stars and former golfers would come through. Um, and, and then he had this DJ business where guys would come through cause he had the bands for the company. So he'd do the mu- music at weddings, um, company parties, and they'd have DJs that would set up and do the whole thing. And, and these guys would all come through and get their gear and they'd sometimes stop after and, and you'd get to know all these guys. So it was, there was a lot of comings and goings, but, um, it was fun. And that was kind of our household, um, whether it was kids in our neighborhood or my dad's professions or my mom babysitting in the day, it just, it just felt like you always grew up with a lot of people around you. I could only imagine the chaos in your neighborhood at your house. Well, I would say um, controlled chaos, controlled chaos would be a good, good, good. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, just there's people and, yeah. coming and going and there's, there's the, yeah. the, the, this garage. I heard about the garage when I was in high school. Cause that's where Tom Chorsky would go work out. And it was like this, right. It was this, it was to, you know, it was kind of like the super elite place to go lift. It was where when Chorsky was like, I would go over here and there was be all these other ex pros or current pros, current gophers. And it was just like the Mecca for, for getting stronger and getting better as a hockey player. Yeah, I'm a six, seven-year-old kid looking at these guys on pull-ups and doing bench press and squats, and I'm, I'm going, what are these, what are these guys doing? Um, but I, it just was kind of the world you grew up in. Um, like I said, my dad was strong. He was, he loved to lift. I mean, it was just like his thing. Um, but he also created an environment for, for athletes at that time stronger off the ice. And yeah. I, you know, football, you know, was 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 obviously in that direction, but hockey really wasn't. And it was a trend that 
um, not only with my dad's coaching, but with that, with that strength coach background that he had, and he was certified, um, you know, that just was another feather in his cap of knowledge he had of how to get better. And so, um, you, you just saw these, these, everyone working out, but what I think the biggest thing he learned was hard work. Um, right. and, and I think one of the things he, he always, I don't know if he always said it specifically, but you watched by his example and, and it was, um, if you have a work ethic and you do it consistently, um, you, you will separate yourself from 90% of people. And I've always believed that. And of course, when you add talent and different things along the way, that's going to help. But I always have kind of held on to that and tried to pass that to our kids. But, uh, that work ethic part, he had it. And, um, he, he, he was a good example for all of us in our family, not just me and my brother, but we had two sisters as well. And, uh, we, we, uh, we looked up to him big time. So Jack Blatherick has to come into your life at some point if, if, right. It's because he was a big part of the cog as well. Right. Yeah. Him and my dad were, were good friends and spent a lot of time, uh, in the day with hockey. Jack would be at Minnesota, um, as an assistant and, um, and Jack had obviously, you know, um, a, a huge, you know, reputation of working with Olympic teams, working with gopher teams, working with pro athletes. Um, so Jack was really, a um, a key guy in terms of, um, my dad certainly had the coaching and the, the strength background, but Jack had a lot of the, like the science behind it. The physiology and is what he taught me physiology. when I was a kid. Yeah, exactly. So Jack was a huge influence and Jack was unique in his, in his day. Cause, um, you know, he would help with the training with my things, my dad had, but he, he incorporated a lot of hockey specific ideas that I still, um, utilize today, um, with not only the people I work with, with our kids, um, but in terms of, uh, just, just the, the next level of training and, uh, and getting your legs strong and committing to that. And, and then, you know, paying that price, which in, in term is going to pay dividends, but, uh, Jack had a huge influence and, um, you know, those guys were good friends and there, there's no question Jack's, Jack's part in our life, um, really helped me and my brother and many, many of my friends who were around his training. It's, it's amazing when Jack writes an article and let's play hockey, it's like everyone stops and reads it because you know, it's going to, you know, it's going to be something really intelligent and, and progressive and, and kind of forward thinking, don't you think? Yes. And, and, um, and I think we, we learned a lot from Jack. There's no doubt, but Jack was, it was in his day, you know, he, he did everything. He didn't do anything for, for financial gain. Um, no. He would get, he would get grants from USA hockey and we do an eight week overspeed, um, you know, conditioning three days a week and then go train at the dungeon, which is the old weight room um, yep. across from Williams and Mary arena. And his only requirement was that you showed up. And so, you know, there's, there's so many different things now where it's, it's too expensive for parents, but that was, that was an opportunity we had with kids and we became really strong in our lower, you know, our, our, our legs and, yeah. and that, that helped take our hockey game with other parts and our off ice stuff to a whole nother level. All right. So let's go back, uh, and talk a little bit about your, uh, youth days. You guys took a third place in, um, in, in state and bantams, but just prior to that, you're probably in fifth, sixth, seventh grade. It's 1986 Met Center. Uh, Richfield pulls off one of the biggest upsets in high school hockey history, beating the number one ranked Edina Hornets. Where were you sitting that night at the Met? I was right in the middle of the whole Richfield uh, fans, and uh, that was inspiring. It was, um, you know, we, we had Damian Rhodes in that, and we had a lot of, they had a lot of good, hardworking players. Um, no, none that you would say superstar, this guy or that guy. I, I yep. think Adina had 
12. Four, 12, 12 for sure 12. Right. So it was like, you know, Richfield was on this run. They had won their first two at the Met, and and uh, and it was just amazing. And and obviously, Damian Rose is going to have to be a superstar and and stand on his head and make who knows fifty or sixty saves. But they just had an energy, and it was um you know you're just proud of your community. And uh, um, I say the word inspiring because you're you're just hopeful. I mean, that's our culture in our state is that you want to be like those guys, pro hockey, college hockey. Of course, those would be dreams. But to play in your high school hockey team, I still to this day tell people like that, that was your goal. Like you didn't, of course, you wanted to be good at Bantams um, and your Pee Wee levels. Yeah. But you just, you wanted to get a crack on that varsity team. And, um, you know, it just was, um, and when you saw those guys have that run and make it, um, it just inspired you more. And um, it was, those guys were, those were our heroes when we were kids. Uh, and the neat thing was they they used to let us come in after the game and yeah and act, and you know they had wood sticks not composites then so the guys would actually give it give you a stick here and there too it was really um that was a highlight of my whole uh you know Richfield time um of course to get a chance eventually to play in a state tournament but to watch that group and that team so it was a bigger uh, was thrill really when you were special. in 6th grade uh, to watch it than actually to yeah. do it when you were in 12th grade yeah in different ways yes yeah um, I, I believe a, it i believe know, it a, thr- a thrill to live it but a thrill to watch it, and then you know eventually later you got to go to the state later. tournament and and go yes. to that set. It was a night session, I believe, that they played in. Yeah, remember? Yeah, I mean, how cool is that? You know, the whole it the whole a, yeah. And and Richfield, I, go ahead. No, I still think the whole Civic Center with the clear boards is still something you know that was um, special to our our state. Made um, it even more special. A, I think so too. The clear boards had that aura. Everyone talks about it. It'd be fun if someone put a. A rink in their backyard with clear boards. It just would bring back a retro. There was a there but, was late in the in the whole clear boards era. I think they started putting ads on the clear boards where they weren't clear anymore. Not all the right. way around, but it was like, yeah. well, what's the point of clear boards if you're not going to make them clear? Remember that? Right. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I don't get that one, but was, I, but I but I say like that vision of the rink. Even before you went there as a kid on TV at school, when they pull the TV in there, you just you had it just had a um, I don't know it it was it magnetized you towards just how cool it was and, and something you hoped to someday maybe get there. Well, be thankful. You can thank me and and a few of my buddies uh, for that TV getting dragged into your classroom because there were guys like me who, whose parents would let them out of school not to go to the games, just to go home and watch the games at noon. So they probably figured, well, if we can keep them in the school, at least we'll put the TV in the, in the room so they'll, they'll at least stay in the school. I like it. It was good. <laughs> it was fun. And even you know, even our our te- I mean our Richfield teachers, they were into it and it, and that was our um and you know that just was like our spring break in Minnesota. It was the best. German hit, you know, and yeah. it was uh, it was it's it still is it still has a great allure. It was um, the best. It still is a great event, but it, it's just the, the memories there of all the teams of all the years is is incredible. I'll never forget it. I don't know what year it was. Probably second grade. Tom Chorsky and I were best friends at that age, and and I said, "Well, I'm going." I, we were on the bus or something. I go, "I'm going home today. I'm getting out at noon. My mom's taking me out of school so I can go watch the state tournament." He's like, "Wait, you're gonna leave school so to watch hockey?" I'm like, "Yeah, my mom thinks it's important <laughs> enough for me to go home and watch the tournament." 
I, she, my mom got in so much trouble from his mom, Mary Chorsky, for letting me out of school. But guess what? That's the crazy. next year, Chorsky got out of school because I got out of school. So nice. it was a nice. big deal. It was. I'm like, there's no way I'm going to miss this, you know? And yeah. I think part of the reason is I had older brothers that were in high school. And that, back in the day, if you were in high school, you got tickets to the tournament. You, got to, you had free access to buy them. So it wasn't fair that my brother got to actually go to the game and I had to sit in school. So that was – I got lucky having older brothers. Yeah. Way, well, so. I, well, and the other part about the tournament, I mean, there's so many good players in our st- our state historically that that never made it, and they they were. I mean, they may have played collegially to the NHL, and they they never they not never even close. Yeah, yeah. All right, uh, let's get to your high school career. Uh, believe it or not, you had 174 points. Now, that's impressive. But what people don't remember, and I want you to elaborate on this a little bit, is you played in the Lake Conference. You weren't playing Holy Angels every night. You were playing Edina. You were playing. You were playing Burnsville. You were playing Minnetonka. You had a Kennedy and Jefferson. I mean, this is a tough of stretch of games as you're ever going to see. It was good hockey. I mean, that's what makes our state and and to the you know we in our in our conference where we grew up. There wasn't you know you had to earn it. Um, and, and I think a lot of that helped prepare you for college. Um, you know, and I didn't play junior hockey. Obviously, a lot of kids right. know play a year or two of junior hockey and, and uh, it's part of development and just getting to the, the collegiate level. But that was really not happening a lot. The Balkans for sure were around. I mean, right. there was obviously guys that had a good window there and, and went on to do well. But for a lot of us, if you were fortunate enough and you had gotten a scholarship, like you just, you, your senior year, you went right to college. So, um, but I, I do feel that uh, like growing up in the conference we were in, the teams we played and how you had to prepare to play and, and you know, that, that helped you. And when you went to college, you know, there's an adjustment to a, a faster, stronger game, but um, there's no doubt about it. Growing up in that environment and that conference helped you uh, transition well. Do you remember who you guys beat, where you were to get to state? Because I, I couldn't track it down. I 91. do. Um, yeah, we were, um, we, we made the finals. We played Adina. Okay. Um, and we, it was actually Willard Eichel's last game. So, um, really? Wow. Put yeah. that feather so, in your hat. I swear well, I didn't know this. This day. is not a setup. I couldn't really dig yeah. it up. No, and we had respect for Donna. And I think during the year, I think we had beat him twice. And histor- I mean, for us over time, Adina had the upper hand most of the time. They always had good players, good teams. Um, so that was a big one. And and that's the other part about as, as unique as the state tournament was, you know, to get into it at the Met Center when it's totally sold out and you're playing Adina. Um, a rival, right? A border rival. Um, that atmosphere in there with the band and the students and that whole Met Center to get in was was a whole nother atmosphere that was incredible. Yeah, your son Mason played at Mariucci, right? To to make it to state, probably yes. senior year, right? Senior, junior. Well, Correct. right. I mean, that's maybe that was, the place holds ten. There was probably seven or eight there that night. Did you ever ex- explain him like, well, when I made it to state, son, uh, there was twice the amount of people in the building to watch me go to state, right? I, I try and tell them old stories, but they, they roll their eyes. But, um, <laughs> you know, um, I just, the, the Met Center had a, a whole, yeah. The, the neat thing was the students were back and forth. Of course, Mariucci still has excitement and, um, you know, but yeah, to have a, a you know, in the National Hockey League rink sold out. Um, I, you know, there was, I remember going there as a kid, probably in the day when you're watching Richfield get in. Yeah. You know, another team 
maybe I can't. I think the Blackhawks were playing the North Stars like the next day. And, I bet. You know, they're at the Thunderbird, and you, you, you recognize a player, and they they can't believe how um, excited people are in Minnesota for. And that wasn't even the state tournament yet. I mean, no. that, that was just to get in. And, it was, and that, those those crowds would build. It was special. I'm glad I asked that because that 91 win over Edina has to be one of the sweetest in your career. Well, it was. I don't remember the score, but um, we did have a player, Brandon Stig, I believe, had a hat trick. So um, it was just fun. And I think it was um, it, it was definitely for sure for your city, for, for your team, for the guys you grew up with. You're, you're excited. And, and we respected Adina. They were good. But we we um, I don't know. It just, it's just it's one of those times when you're younger and you're in a big game environment. It's really, really a good experience because it's not. For sure, there's going to be some butterflies, and those are good. But like, it's it's just it's a really good experience, and and fortunately, you know, you, you, then you go to the state tournament, then you play collegiately. Th- those type of games just help you kind of be prepared for the other ones that come along in, right. in your in in your career. You had a very long career, so we got to go. We got to speed up here. We're going to run out of time here. Your freshman, you've played two years at the U. Your freshman year was unbelievable. Fifty-five points. I mean, that's like senior type of points what was clicking who did you play with uh what was what was what how did you gel so well to get those to get that amount of points yeah well i was uh on a line with craig johnson who was a sophomore and he was a craig was a good player if you mm-hmm. if you were open he was gonna get you the puck um so that really helped and i knew craig from previous years training in the summer in different camps so craig was it was a huge help um and then we had a power play that was um really good um meaning larry olam the all-time assist leader of all time was the yep. quarterback on it Trent Klatt was on it, um, Doug Zamolak, uh, Craig Johnson. Um, I mean, we had, you know, we had four. That's weapons right the five, there, right? Four of the five guys, uh, you know, were, we were fortunate to play in the NHL. And probably the best player on our team and running the power play did Larry Olam, who, you know, who didn't. And so, but he, Larry made the game easy. Um, he had a great, Larry would always look one way and, and all of a sudden the pass would be in the perfect spot and you'd, you'd get a great opportunity. That was Larry. He was special. He was a senior. Uh, and he was kind of a, he was a guy that like, he made it fun. He made you comfortable to play. And I think those things early in your first year, um, I, I think my first year, I didn't have a point in my first five games. Really? And then things just kind of clicked. And uh, and Larry would be a big part of it. Craig, Trent Klatt. I mean, there were so many good players um, we had. And we ended up losing that year to Lake State, which yeah, still is a disappointer, but the team was good, and we had Jeff Stolp and Tom Newman and that. We had we had we just had a lot of things covered, and but across the board, I mean, we had Travis Richards, we had Jeff Nielsen, we had um, I could go on and on and on. We we just had a really really good group. Now, as far as freak athletes are concerned, was Jeff Nielsen qualify as the freakiest one you've ever seen? Well, I would explain Jeff as. Um, actually in a, in a complimentary way, one of the most talented guys I've met yeah. because, um, he won the state golf tournament when he was in 10th grade. Um, he got drafted as a senior to the Rangers. Um, he also got a scholarship offer to go to Stanford, uh, where he could have played with Tiger Woods. So he, he was in a, and he was, a, and Jeff was a pretty good, um, like smart in school. Like he would right. actually tutor me in math in college. Um, but he just, he was, he's talented and, if you go fishing with Jeff Nielsen, you're on the fish and catch fish. Like he's, he's multi-talented. Um, but I, a quick story with Jeff, like when he was done playing pro hockey and played for the wild, played 
you know, few years, um, he tried to go back on the golf circuit and, yeah. and, uh, and just see if he could make a run at, and I caddied for him up in, uh, Northland and Duluth one year. No and way. I think he would, yeah. It was, and it was fun. But like, was he barefoot? Um, no, he wasn't barefoot on this one, but I heard I mean, he had played like an entire, like the big 10 championship barefooted once. Well, do you doubt this? On. No, no, I, I totally would believe it or flip flops on. That okay. would be Jeff. I mean, he, he could show up for his first round of the year in flip flops and shoot a 65, <laughs> but Neely hits the ball probably farther than any hockey player I've ever seen. Um, and there's a lot of guys that hit a, a long drive, but Neely, I like when I'm catting from like Neely, you got to control it. Like, and he'd look at me and roll his eyes, but like that would be his challenge. He's got all this ability, but to harness it. And, and I want to finish at Northland. I think he was 30th out of, you know, hundred and some amateurs, which is really good. Yeah. Like if you're, you know, you, you haven't been competitively in that, but that's just how good, that's how good so many amateur golfers are out there. Like, you know, so if you think you're going to take a run and he tried some of the Dakota tours, it's just hard. There's just so many good golfers and he, he certainly still is to this day, but it's one thing to go play with your buddies and shoot a 67. It's another thing to go into these matches and shoot a 67 and, and, uh, but a lot different talented guy and it was fun to play college with him and and also have a chance to play uh the first year with the wild when he was on that team so 1980 you're about eight years old uh your dad's involved with the Olympic team you see the gold medal did you ever think back then uh 14 years later you'd be playing in the olympics uh i think maybe you know like i said you're on that stage i wanted to be play for your high school team at that at age eight or nine but um you know what? It's just those are like distant dreams. You're in you're around a little bit. My dad was fortunate to be like, you know, in that day, USA Hockey did not have a lot of budget. So my dad in our weight room took that to the Civic Center where they trained. Herbie liked my dad. My dad had that background in training. And so they set up a, a weight room there with Jack Wilderick, with their group. So my dad was he was around it. He was a part of it. Uh, he had coached Steve Kristoff in, in high school, right. uh, had a relationship with him and some of the guys even before that Olympic team had trained in our garage. So he, he knew of some of the people. And so he was sort of, he was around it and a part of it, maybe not on the official, right. Um, you know, roster, uh, right. Roster, but he was, that's kind of how Herbie had some different guys around that helped and influence. And he just, he was trying to do anything he could in that time to, to help. And he, I think his relationship with Herbie, Herbie said, Hey, bring your stuff out. And, and they brought in vans. And I was just, when they came home, they used that equipment and, um, of course they traveled a ton, but it was, it was a neat part. I think that he felt being around it in a small way. So you, you arrive in Lillehammer and you see the sign that says Olympic athletes and you're like, are you pinching yourself at this point? You're going through the Olympic ceremony, you know, opening ceremony, all those things that come with being the Olympics. What was your, what's your takeaway there? I, I would probably put it at the highlight of my career, a hockey playing career, that experience. Um, mm. and for, fortunate to, you know, of course, grew up and play hockey in Minnesota. Fortunate to play pro hockey um, and and playing different world tournament events. But the Olympics were like the Olympics, and the opening ceremonies. You know, you're 21. What and, was your um, What was the outfit that year? There was all kinds of different. Uh, things. We had we had these long duster type coats um, <laughs> that were uh, uh, cowboy hats. And did you get cowboy uh, we, hat? We had cowboy hats. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, um, I think Champion was our sponsor of our stuff. Um, which we, which we thought was really cool, but we, uh, I, I just think because you're around all these other athletes and, and that spread into not just the openings, you kind of pinch yourself and say, I, you're in the Olympics and you're, um, you actually made it. And obviously there's games to play, 
and the whole event that you're going to be a part of. But just it's such a worldly event. And and I, I still feel like even at the village, you're around skiers, you're around just different athletes um, and bobsledders. And, you know, it's just it's it's global. You know, hockey is special. It's what you do, but you're around other people getting to know them from our country. And I think that whole experience was it was it was unique. In casual conversation with Dave Snuggerud five, ten years ago, he mentioned we I asked started asking him about Olympics and he goes, That was the that, that was the moment for me when I was in, in the Olympic village eating breakfast and watching these speed skaters or ski jumpers or whatever eating their breakfast and here's these guys they've been all they've done their whole life is is ski jump or whatever it is, right? right? And yeah. then I, that's when I realized he goes and and I was a hockey. I just always thought of myself as a hockey player, and I just happened to be a little bit better than the the guy next to me on on the each team. But these are like real live athletes, you know, right. with very like, very ultra focused. And I was just like this, you know, hockey player. Or if you well, in the, which I think goes back to us in hockey that we're fortunate because we have a team, and and you're with a group, yeah. and you're on a line, you're, and you got you're coming as a team. So a number of these sports are individual. If you're a downhill skier, you're individual. You have, I mean, of course, you're skiing for your country, but um, you know that's that's what makes our sport, I think, so special because you've got a team and you got to rely on your team, and and that group and that camaraderie is what makes our sport great. We mentioned your brother a little bit. Um, you got a chance to play with him at Richfield one year, two years? Uh, two. Two years. Okay, I wasn't sure if you played in ninth or not. Um, and now you have a chance after the Olympics to potentially come back and play with you and maybe play another year with him. Walk through the decision there of, of going pro versus coming back to the Gulfs for one more year. Yeah, I, we, I came back from the Olympics, and it's February, and um, I had two years eligibility. I was a set on – finishing school that year and getting your credit set up. I had done that. And then, uh, and then, you know, just going into the next year and, and obviously playing with your brother two years in high school, it's, it's just something you wanted to do again. We played on the same line basically for two years. So you're hoping for that opportunity again. And, and it's there. Um, but I, when I came back to the Olympics, it was, um, I remember coming in the airport and there was a couple of us. And, and the question was not next year, or would you, are you coming back this year? And I, I really hadn't, um, I really hadn't thought that through. Um, right. You know, I just, in my Plus mind. you're a 21 year old kid. I mean, yeah. Think, think about 21 year olds now. You got a son that's almost 21. Could you imagine making that decision uh, coming off an airplane? No way. And I think, you know what? It, it, of course, it was a good team. And could you help them? Hopefully. But you also would lose your eligibility. Is that, would you do that? There's a lot of questions. Um, and in the end, um, you know, I, I, like I said, I, I enrolled in school and I was like a day before, um, you know, getting going on that again. And uh, Toronto, who I was drafted by, reached out and just said, we really want to sign you. And not to come to the Maple Leafs, but to come to our affiliate in St. John's, Newfoundland. And we want you to get we want you to get your pro career started. And they gave you an offer that was, um, you, you know, it was hard to turn down. So it was it worked out. Um, I ended up playing my first game in the NHL that year in the playoffs with Toronto. And, um, so it was, it was, it was definitely a whirlwind year, but there was definitely a part of you in your mind, um, that you wanted to play with your brother and for sure to play for the Gophers again. I yeah. mean, that, that was, you know, that those were special times in your life to be there at that, at the university. But I, but the part with my brother was, I don't regret it. It's, it's still a part that, that is, you know, you wish you would have had done that one more time at the next level. 
Right, right. Um, you played uh, 518 NHL games, 129 points. Not a bad career for a kid from Richfield. Oh, one bit, one more thing on the on the Lillehammer right before we get back. You had a chance to play with Brett Hauer, who was a couple years older than you from Richfield. How cool was that? You're in the Olympics, and there's two kids from Richfield. That's like two kids from Roseau in the in the uh, Olympics. Yeah, it was fun. Brett was a good player. He was. Uh... He came into Richfield when he was in ninth grade, so we played bantams together. Um, and so he, 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 you know, he was good. And we played high school two years. Um, so I had two more after he left. He went to Duluth, had a good career, and then when I, you know, it just aligned again with the Olympic year in '94 and him trying out coming from Duluth. Um, and obviously, I was coming from Minnesota, so he was he was definitely going to be a candidate. We all were in the mix, but um, really special to to have a chance to. Uh, uh, reconnect with Brett and, um, he's a good player. Um, you know, he was great skater, uh, big, strong guy and, uh, was fun, fun to have the years we had in Bantams in high school and then, and be on that stage in Olympics too. Did you ever look at each other when you're in Lillehammer and go, can you believe it? We're here and we from Richfield or whatever. We're from the same town. Yeah, no, I think we, yeah, for sure you did. Um, he was, you know, that you had those, those times where you'd, you'd kind of, um, have that talk or, or just that fun talk a little bit. Um, you know, we had gone through the whole year, the Olympic year. So we, you know, we knew we were like, there's that, the whole, um, the whole tour where we played everywhere. There's, there's definitely that, um, time where you're together a lot, but to actually get to the Olympics, there's no doubt. Um, I think both of us were in awe of the whole, just the whole environment and, and Lillehammer in Norway too. It was, an, it was a, it was a cool place how they did it. And just, it was, uh, it was fun. Um, you get to be a pro, uh, something you probably dreamed about your whole life, and you play for one of the most storied franchises in in, in the NHL's history. Was there a lot of was there extra pressure, Tom? My buddy Chorsky always talks about playing for the Canadians. Like, wow, it was just like the weight of the world sometimes in in a town like that. Especially, I can only imagine Toronto. You know what? It, Toronto is um, Minnesota is hockey huge hockey big hockey all of our things our state tournaments our pro teams but toronto is a whole nother level and yeah because of their history because their original six team because of all the hall of famers um but the media the media is just a whole nother level in these places and uh but you know i i like i go back to different experiences from games help you in other games i i think growing up in minnesota of course the media wasn't as big at minnesota or um you know, it, like Toronto, but we had enough here where it, it I think it prepared you enough. Yeah. You were, you know, it, the transition and help your transition. You were at a state tournament. You had played and been around games on TV. You had played college and been in WCHA final games yeah. with sellout crowds and it's on our media here. So I, I think you were, um, you know, you were, yeah, I think you were prepared in some ways for it. It's, it still was big, like everywhere you'd go in, in Toronto, um, you know, the TV would be on and be Maple Leaf, Maple Leafs. People love the Maple Leafs. And, and I, I, I loved playing there. Um, our captain was Doug Gilmore when I first got there. Wow. Um, he was unbelievable. I, I just say a great player, but person, how he treated even the, the younger guys like myself, he was, uh, he was, he wanted to be on, on his team. And, uh, there was a number of other hall of famers. And for me, you know, um, the first year, you just wanted to crack the lineup and right. Um, and you were going to be on a third, fourth line. There's just, you're not going to be on the power play ahead of Mike Gartner or Dave Anderchuk or uh, Wendell Clark. So you had to figure out a role. You had to figure out um, how to, how to fit a role. And um, 
And that's kind of how my career started. And I, and I know in the, in a lot of our minds, because we had scored goals at different levels, we wanted to try and do it at that level. But I, a lot of us found out that uh, our fit was probably in a, in, a, in, a, in a role, in a line that wasn't on the top two. And we had to figure out ways to adjust our game and adapt to, to be able to stay there and, and make it. Uh, you must have read my mind because Wendell Clark is one of the things I wanted to ask you about. I mean, this is like the five-tool player of all five-tool players. He ha- he could do everything. What was that like being in the same locker room and the same team as him in your years there? Well, my first game, I'll give you a quick story. So I was in St. John's, Newfoundland, and I um, um, I got called up, and I didn't expect to get called up. Was this the playoff game? This is a playoff game in Chicago, and it was right. actually, if we won the game, it'd be the last game ever in Chicago Stadium. So I got called up. I came in at night. I went to breakfast. I, I didn't I didn't really, I recognized some players, but you're not really going over to introduce yourself. Um, I get to the bus. I'm the first person on the bus to go to the pregame skate, and guys are walking by looking at me going, who, who, who are you? Who is this guy? Are you, uh, what, what, what are you here for? And I'm, I'm just trying to fit in. I go to the pregame skate. I, I skate as hard as I can. And I remember, you know, you're around guys like Wendell Clark who, who are good. Like, they're like, how are you doing? How's it going? I have no, I don't know if I'm playing. Um, Gilmore had got hurt. So I'm a centerman at the time. So I would maybe, maybe be insurance if he didn't play. Um, of course, Gilmore's going to play. But I went from a chair in, um, like, in, in the morning to now at night after I did the warm-up. To like they put me in a real stall um and then all of a sudden pat burns comes thundering down there were stairs and and the next thing you know he yells my name out that i'm starting and doug gilmore grabs me in my stall and shakes me and goes tells me something along the lines of don't be nervous let's go kick ass i'm like okay uh i started the game and i think my mom and dad who was on espn were watching and my dad thought i made a mistake and i shouldn't be on the ice or what right. am I doing out there? Yeah, yeah. But I started the game, and actually I started on wing. And I was on a line with Gartner and Gilmore to start. And I actually hit Belfort's knob on my first, like the puck just, it ended up, I got a break down the wall, and it, it didn't score. And, and it's a fun one in your mind if it yeah. would. But I had a great chance, my first um, shift, and uh, everything just went fast. Like um, I, I mentioned Damian Rhodes earlier. He was on the team. He was our backup goalie. Felix Poppin was in that. But you know, you had won this series and we flew home. And I remember I was on the bus with Daryl Sittler, who was an advisor for the team. And yep. I didn't know anyone. I, you didn't know anyone. But I remember we had a couple of days between. I went golfing with Damien Rhodes and a guy named Dave Ellett. And um, it was just fun. You're in the you're in the city in the in the excitement of a, a city. But you weren't really you just played one game. It's not like you had been there all year and you earned it. But you were, it was fun to be around that excitement. And all those players. um that you certainly looked up to, you had to kind of find a way real quick to figure out if I'm going to play, I, I can't be in too much awe here, but it's hard because they're all guys that are um, certainly had great careers or many are in the hall of fame, but you're, you do, you're trying to get your mind focused and I got to do my, play my game and, and be who I am. Yeah, well, Wendell Clark was definitely one of those guys that I, when I watched, it was like everything, it's like the world stopped when he got on the ice because you never knew it was going to happen, right? And he pl- he played hard. He was tough. He scored. But um, I mentioned Gilmore how he treated younger players. Wendell Clark was great. Um, he was calm. Uh, he was respectful. He gave you tips. He'd shoot. He'd shoot. He'd go out early and shoot with you. Uh, he he was a really good leader. Oh, that's crazy. All right. So you play. You know, he said five hundred eighteen NHL, ga- NHL games. 
What's the one thing you remember when you look back, or, or one thing you maybe tell your sons, like, okay, this is something that I learned, like, I, I, that from from playing in the NHL that I learned wouldn't have learned anywhere else in life. That's a good question. Um, I think being a good teammate. I think one of the best compliments someone could give you uh, is they'd want to be on your line, or if you're a D man, be your D partner. Um, I'm not, you know, I just there, there's there's just something about. I think every level and it could be the pro level to the lower levels is just being on a team and being a good teammate. Um, and of course, every player, you want to be good. You want to be successful. You want to be your best, but just being a good teammate is so important. Um, and, and, I, and what I say by that is, is unselfish. Like you're unconditional to, um, you know, if you got to make a hit to make a play, um, if the guy's open, you move it. Um, if, if it's not there, you shoot. It's just, it's just, uh, it's just those things, and I and I, I will I, I play with Andrew Burnett, yep, um, for for years in Minnesota and coach with him, and he he's has a great point of view I think in terms of the game hockey. Number one, I, hockey reveals your character in terms of yes. a, who you are as a player, um, and 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 you just you see it all, especially if you've been with players long enough. You see, hey, you see when guys get moody. You see when they're have a great game and they're on a high, and and then maybe they're too high. You see when they're low and they're too low, but um, it re- it's revealing and you can't hide and you know, the best of the best, the hall of famers that are the most well-rounded that have it all put together. They, they do it day in and day out, how they go about what they do. And they're just good teammates too. Um, but they don't try and be bigger than the game. Um, but they make the game great because of that, because of those traits. Well, I'm glad you brought up the character thing, because one of the things I see, even just as a youth coach, but you, I'm sure you see it. Uh, even more closely coaching the wild was, and, and I want to go back to your playing days. Was there ever a guy that you played with you followed that was just took the the, the minute and a half shift or you know what I mean that kind of guy that kind of character because that that speaks to character too because if you're going to be out there and then when you're back checking decide to jump off the ice as opposed to finishing your back check did that ever happen well, those, to you you know what I'm saying oh, those things happen all the time at different times but when you have a good team and you have um leadership group that keeps people accountable they they usually get nipped right away but yeah. those are revealing traits of a guy who who in a selfish way won't won't come off and all of a sudden you're in it now you gotta come back and cover and and you're shorthand and you get scored against it's all those those sort of words that fit into the word sacrifice but um those are revealing traits there's other revealing traits where the guy changes right and he gets off because he knows um, he's not buckled at the end of his shift and he gives you an opportunity to get out at the right time too. But those are, those are good analogies of, of those things. And, 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 I, and the majority of teams that have the most success, they have those things in line in a good way and good habits. Of course, you've got to have the talent part, right? As we know talent is takes you over the edge, but those parts have to be in line and every good team has those, uh, that accountability of those. All right. So after your pro career, you played a little bit in Europe as well. Um, walk through those two years. That must have been. That's kind of like a, a good retirement party, right? I mean, you get to go see Europe and and be with your family a little bit more, make a little bit of money as well, and kind of kind of experience a new part of life. It was good. Um, you know, after the lockout year, um, it was a. I had re-signed with Colorado. I had finished Minnesota. I was thrilled. I signed a one-year deal. Obviously, it impacted everyone in different ways. Um, and when the new um, collective bargain agreement came in um, with the salary cap, if you were on a two-way um, contract, and that's what that was my best offer, you're going to be you're going to be sent down, up and down all the time, no matter how well you're playing. So it was yep. like um, you're, you're in a tough spot. Like, do you want to leave 
a potential opportunity to play again here. Um, and I, you know, I talked to people, I respected my dad, your agent, and, and you know what, it just was time to, to take another uh, part of your career on. So I, I just, I, I ended up in Salzburg, Austria. Um, I'll be honest, they paid me the most and they gave me a two-year deal, but it was, I talked to a number of teams and, um, and that's the one we picked and it was, it was a good, I think it was a good window at the end of your career where you had some fun playing. It certainly was not the NHL, but it was, um, you know what, you're fa- we had three young kids and that factored into the whole thing. And, uh, did they live there I, with you? They did. Okay. And went to German like preschools. Um, and my wife, she actually flourished. She, she met friends at the market. She met friends in town. I mean, outside of hockey, um, which was fun. Um, and we also, we, like we travel, um, we went to different places at the end of the year and stayed in places in Spain and, uh, Italy's and, um, and went skiing during the year a couple of times too, which is something you'd never do in the NHL, but we did, we did neat things as a family. Um, and it was a good chapter to, uh, to kind of wind it down. Well, I mean, if you know anything about Europe, uh, Austria is probably the most beautiful part of the, of the continent. It was awesome. Um, like our bus rides, like we'd, we'd bus everywhere. Um, they were, you know, they were anywhere from two hours to five hours, but like you're just driving through the mountains the whole way. And anyone who's been through the Swiss Alps, um, Austria is very, very similar. Um, beautiful spot and just a cool, cool place to live. We were like Salzburg is about 150,000 people, but just the history and the, the town was, was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Oh, that does, that does sound kind of cool. So your job after, after you played after Europe is still to me, I'm, I'm still kind of baffled that this is actually an actual job. You work for the union, the NHL players association, walk through the job description, what that is. Cause I guarantee most of our listeners have not heard of this, of this occupation. Yeah. So I was involved. I went to a lot of meetings when I played just to get updated on things that would affect you or your contract or your career, um, just to be educated. Um, so when I was done, um, you know, there was a lot of chaos going on with the union of different firings and tr- changes in, in, in higher up positions. And um, Eric Lindros had come on in a role and um, they had they had he, he was in charge of hiring six former players. I had not met Eric. Um, and, you know, it ca- kind of was a call out of the blue. But I was I was thinking of maybe going back playing in Europe. But, uh, you know, this opportunity came up, which was interesting. So you would be a divisional player up. One of the teams would in the that I would have was the wild in, in their our, the wilds division at the time. So I would cover those teams and meet with, we would have meetings with their teams, but just in, informationally. Um, and in my yeah. role was not to um, jam the union, different things of how they should think. It was more to educate them on, on different things. They have available resources, explain their pensions, um, you know, just a number of things that affect them in their career. And, um, you know, that was our job just to be educational to them. And some guys could be younger um and some guys certainly could be veterans they just you know there could be things that came up with rules we and our job was to gather information on their thoughts on different things and those things would go to a, the players association eventually to a committee with the nhl and the and the players association to to maybe adapt a new rule or change one or keep it the same so um it was good it was a good experience you, you met a lot of people there was a, there was still a number of people that i'd play with in the game so 
um, you know, it was it was a good experience. It's got to be interesting though, because you had the Northwest Division. You lived in Minneapolis, and now you had you were employed by the Wild, and now the role as the union is a little bit adverse, a little bit of an adversary, especially coming out of a lockout like it had a couple years prior. What was that like um, from from the, that time in your life and that time of where who you were compared to now who you were with with the union? Well, I think, you know what, and you, you want to be respectful to both parts, but your my role and my job was to help players understand, um, you know, the, the different things that went on that affected their career. Like I said, not to tell them how to think. And I, I think I tried to approach it in a respectful way to, to help them. My job was to help them understand they pay dues. And here's a lot of the benefits that come with it, with the association that you can lean on um, and, and be helpful. So I didn't look at my role as a, um, um, uh, you know, a anti-league, divider. right? I didn't look at it as a divider from the league. I yeah. looked at it as, as, a, as, as the opposite, more of a, a good thing to make the whole game better. And um, so, but, you know, you were respectful. Um, you know, a lot of our meetings were out, weren't always at Excel. You, you want right. to be respectful to different parts that way. And, um, and just, I thought, it was, you know, you just, you wanted to walk a line that was, was good on both ends. And I think, um, yeah, that, that's how I tried to approach it. All right. So from there you become, you, you get a job that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hockey coaches throughout North America and the world would die to get. How did you find yourself as an NHL assistant coach? Well, I was doing television as well. I was going through yep. some of the box, and it was a good experience. You're learning. Um, it was um, fun. Worked with a lot of good people. And um, I, I was actually like the things I was doing, to be honest. Um, but I, I had a conversation with Chuck Fletcher. Um, it was Todd Richards' first year, and they were looking for someone in a role who had recently retired um, to be uh, a communicator with the young players and all the players kind of a middle guy of course you're gonna be on the coaching staff but right. but be be in a in a role uh, sort of a communicator with the players and the coach and, and try and be that buffer and, and be you know do skill stuff with players you'd be on the ice and and part of it part of the um that was was kind of be a part-time guy be at home yeah and then um, you wouldn't you travel know, right i wouldn't travel so i was intrigued but i to give up the other things i was doing you know you you I wasn't sure, but but obviously the opportunity to coach at the highest level and, and for a team you played with um, was was really a good opportunity. So I took it, and I in but my thing was if I do it, I want to do it full time. Um, I don't want to just do it half. Right. And um, you know, fortunately they they were on board with that. And um, you know, I it, it like I say, I've, I've been very fortunate. I grew up here, um, and then to have an opportunity to to get into coaching at the highest level um, beyond fortunate and i think you just you, you you try and year by year improve get better evolve um find your role and, and the one thing i think from day one with todd richards to um working with dean evison now mm-hmm. um I, I the the people that i've been with all coaches and mike yo and and um bruce and john torchetti they, they they've appreciated they've respected your voice and i think that's the one part that's made it fun um where you try and bring things in another angle um to help your team better for sure and there's so many different things that happen daily but all of those coaches i've been with i I feel fortunate that they've respected your voice and i think that's what's made it fun um to be around that and and of course you're not making the the final decision but you're trying to influence in a positive way to help your team so 
I I'm trying to re- read between the lines here. Are you kind of the glue guy on that on that coaching staff? Is that kind of your um, role? Well, I wouldn't say. I mean, I wouldn't say glue. I think you're just trying to be a part of the group and fall in line and stay in your lane. Um, you know, I, I'm not trying to be the head coach. Right. I'm not. I'm not trying to be uh, alpha assistant coach. I'm trying to be stay in my lane and be good at what I or tr- communicate number one, but work with players. And, and hopefully build trust and help them. And obviously there's a number of things where guys are frustrated and they come to you and they go, what, what's going on with this? And why isn't he doing this? And I think there's a lot of times where you sit down with them and in a rational way and get the emotion out and, and work and be honest with them. That's the most important thing. And I'll, and be honest from your head coach. And, you know, if, if you have a different thought, you always walk out united with your head coach and your staff, you never go out on your own and say, well, this is what I believe. And, right. um, um, but at the same token, your job is to is to help the players too. And when they're frustrated, um, you want to walk them through it and and maybe show them some visual things. But then go to work with it on the ice. And I think that's where I where I, I've enjoyed the coaching part is where you can, when a guy's frustrated or it's not going, you can you can have these conversations. Then you can go work on it. And then the the most joy is when they get back in the lineup and there's no words you're not like you don't talk about it it's just what you got to do to get back and you're happy to see them have success and 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 you're you and they're the ones that did it to get back but th- those are the parts that go on a lot um and it's uh i think from the i say being fortunate you, you develop relationships with guys over the years that um that aren't just a, a one-year thing they're, they're right. parts of helping guys maybe one little part with other parts of the staff not just yourself where you you help them grow up when they're young and and, right. and learn mature and how to do things right that we believe and um you know the guys that respect that and have had success that's 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 what makes it fun having played a lot of different roles on a lot of different teams throughout your career is that help been helpful for relating to players I think so because I've been in roles where there's been times where you're you've you've had success and that's of course that's fun and your team is but I've been in times where I've not been in the lineup I've been a healthy scratch I got put on waivers um, you know I've or, been or even sent to the minors right there's and you're sending down. someone down right I've lived that so I, I think those are parts where you're with guys that um, you're not reliving your career um, and telling them stories about you but you've been in those spots where the emotional levels are difficult and guys are um there's questions and where their career might go and i think there's parts where because of your experience you can hopefully um just no no they know that you're with them they know that um you care about them and i think those are parts that um they happen a lot in our business it happens but the fact that if if, if you have a personal side with the people and they do know you care i think it goes a long way how has your role evolved from starting out with Todd Richards, you know, down to Bruce over the last 10 years? I, I can, I can only imagine how you've gotten better as a coach, uh, since from, from 2010 until today. Yeah. I, in my first year was a lot of learning with Todd and, and, um, just everything that goes on. It's amazing. You know, people think you just show up at seven o'clock and, um, or five thirty warm up and play the seven o'clock game, but there's so many things that go behind preparing your meetings, uh, individual meetings, your practice plans, your lineups, um, everything. So it's, it's, it's been my first years were, were learning with Mike Yo. He gave me a really good opportunity to um, be more involved in videos, you know, on ice practices. And, and those were new. I hadn't, you know, you had played, but it was, there was learning curves to that. Um, right. 
with Bruce, um, you know, I would, my, my primary role is to work with the forwards. There's a lot of pre-scouting that gets done on all of our, uh, our five on five stuff. I've done a lot of that over the years, uh, with, with Mike in different times, um, with Dean, um, you know, it's evolved more where now you're on the bench more, um, you're, you're more involved on the forward site. You're more interactive. I've been eye in the sky before where you right. would, I would come down, whether it was Mike, yo or Bruce, uh, and, and give my points of the, the period from up top. And then now you're, you're more active on the bench. You're more involved. Dean is given responsibility to work w- with our offensive zone. Um, you know, with all players, not just forwards, but defensemen. So he's given you a opportunity to, 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 to do video and kind of make that your baby. Um, so, and then it's just, yeah, it's evolved. I, I think a little bit every year. And I think you've always, you, you, my philosophy from day one is how can I help the team? Um, right. People have asked, do you want to be a pro? Do you want to be a head coach? And, you know, I think those, I think those things evolve in time. If there's a fit and it, does it fit? Is, is that your goal? Does it fit your family where you live and where they're at? I mean, I, I feel fortunate to be in an assistant role and be in our hometown and be yeah. with the wild. Well, and how, how can I help the team is how I've tried to approach it. And as things have evolved, I've just been fortunate to be in the mix and, and hopefully uh, can make a difference on uh, different players and, and which leads to success for our team. Did you ever have a case where you were eye in the sky coach and you, you had one theory on what was going on on the ice and then you go down a locker room on the ice and you, and it was completely different? Um. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, I think that's, what you know, I mean, it's the old 200 feet away versus on the ice, right? I think the game is really easy up top. Um, yeah. I don't say it's not easy. I mean, it looks easier. You can see plays evolve. Um, it's easy to have a hundred thoughts. I learned a lot from an assistant coach, Rick Wilson, who um, is a veteran. He was a really good mentor. And I would come down with, you know, 15 thoughts. And Rick, Rick is like, slow down and right. maybe two. And, and, and he said, don't come down with this line or that guy. Come down with the thought of a tactic thought, our tactics that we work on, our systems. Where are we off? Where are we on? Where are they on? Where are we off? So that's, that was really good advice from Rick, and I tried to take that all my, my years after and just bring that to our head coach because he's got a lot of things in his mind. He sees something a different way. And um, my thing was to bring those thoughts down, and, and if, if, if our head coach wants to use them, he can. Um, and, and if he doesn't, that's okay. He may have another thought. And, and there's a number of nights where we're just emotionally not there. So you can throw tactics out the door. So it's, it's reading every situation, every game, and it's reading, uh, the players and also your head coach and your group that you're with. All right. Uh, we got to get going here. You gotta, you gotta get You have a workout of your own to put some kids through, right? I got my boys on the track today, so right. I'm going to do some old school sprints, which is be good for them. All right, some well, old school wall squats. Couple more questions before we get rolling here. These are these are going to be ones that are near and dear to your heart. So, um, mm-hmm. number one, uh, from everyone I hear, you're Mister Sauna. Um, you're the guy that you've had a sauna your whole life, and if if the coaching thing doesn't work out, you could probably sell saunas uh, throughout the Twin Cities and make a, a fine fortune. Um. Well, you, yes, I am passionate about saunas. Um, we uh, we um, we had a sauna in our house in Richville when I grew up. Me and my brother would use it all the time, and it just was around. You know, playing hockey there in every locker room. Um, I think a whole nother level with sauna for me took off. We we bought a lake place in Duluth. Probably, you know, we 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 sold it unfortunately a few years ago. But the first thing we put in there was a sauna, 
And so the was it in the house or is it out in the yard? It, it was outside. Okay. All right. And this was, this one was electric and it was good. It was a big, they did a great job, but even in, it's kind of like Ireland and Duluth early in June. It just doesn't warm up right away. And, right. um, but we would crank that on every day, jump in the lake and just that contrast part of, of jumping in the water and then coming back to the hot sauna was just awesome. And especially being up North, but I just, I've always had a, a I don't know. Just it's I just it's kind of a lifestyle, but I it, it whether I work out or I'll turn it on after we have one at home now. Um I had a previous house we lived at, I had one. Um it's just it's it's just part of a way of life. Our kids go in there all the time. Uh right now in town I have a cold tub from Mills Fleet Farm that's 75 gallons and I fill it with ice and we 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 go sauna and then we go cold tub. So it's like three rounds is ideal if you no get way. And um, it doesn't mean you got to be in the sauna for 20 minutes a time. It could be five or 10. It just depends on how hot you got it. And then, um, but we, we go three at least. Um, I think one of our kids said, dad, it takes four rounds to win a cup. So sometimes we'll do a fourth. No way. But, um, but uh, it's just fun. And it, there's just, I, there's a ton of health benefits, but it's just, uh, I don't know. I'm not finished. Right. Um, it's big there. It is big but, there. But I love it. And um, I don't know. It's just always been around. My wife thinks I'm a little crazy. I love it. Well, but, don't all wives? Yeah, they do. But it's also, ours is a little hiding spot, too, where you can kind of sneak away. And um, uh, it's just fun. I love it. And I, you feel great when you're done. And now, I, yeah. is it true that you've probably sold or convinced more than 10 guys of Ben Buddy's years on, on the sauna effect? Well, guys just ask me because they, they know I like sauna. So I'm right, yeah. right? You're right. And I just give them my honest advice because a few people have asked about putting one in at their house. And um, I, my answer is absolutely I would do it. And I can recommend you to someone who, who would be really good and give you the, you know, a good price. You can go on the Internet, and do whatever you want. And there's infrared ones that are plugins that I had one. I'm not a fan. I think they're junk. Yeah. But I, I love authentic wood. Um, do you I have wood now or electric? I have wood. All right. Um, so do you go love, buy the wood at like the grocery store? Can I, or? No, I just, I order it. I'll get a cord and then I'll chainsaw it because my stove takes smaller. Um, it's got to be a smaller fit, like 12, 10 inches. So you've taken so, this sauna thing to like a new level, haven't you? I love it. Um, but I, you know what, back to that, I, I just give, I tell guys what I, how I, how I like it. I, and I don't say you should get one, but I give them the reasons why they're good and we'll, and, and then they can decide. But, um, yeah, I just, it's a lifestyle. And who's your guy? Like, who's your, who's your guy? Where do you go buy um, one? There's a guy named Matt Bergstrom. Um, okay. He works for Sonatech. They're in Kokato. He did a great job on mine. Um, he's a star. He's a former player. He played at Concordia, but he just gets it done. His name um, is, what's it called? Sonatech? Sonatech. Yep. All right. I'll, I'll put, Sonatech. I'll put a link on your, on your podcast. I'm going to yep. put a link and for, fin, for Finleo. Finleo is their other, they go under Finleo as well. Okay. Well, I'll put a little um, link on their, on their. And if you he's, want... a Ken, he's a can-do guy that just gets it done. And there's another guy named um, Glenn Auerbach, and he has a website called Sonatimes.com. I know Glenn. Small world. A, I know a, Glenn Auerbach. Great guy. He's a, he's a superstar sauna, um, passionate. Um, I've met him. I've had saunas. He's. He, I've been to. Uh, I've had saunas with him on Lake Minnetonka. It's fun, and he's. He just. He brings positivity to it, and, and it's passionate and uh, yeah, really he good is. person. He, he built saunas as well. So yes, yes. Yeah. He, that, now that you mentioned, I'm like, oh yeah, I know Glenn. Sauna Glenn. So one That's of my real uh, sauna guy when their name is Sauna Glenn. 
my uh, my brother is one of my brother's best friends. So small world. All right. Last but not least, uh, Hendrickson Foundation. Let's talk talk about how the how it all started and how it's flourished into probably one of the most well known hockey nonprofits here in the state. Yeah, I, I would say probably um, my dad who who started it. Um, it, it probably the, the most important thing he, he's proud of. Um, Isn't that crazy? Still, this, this started in 2010. Yeah. Um, my dad had a good run um, in coaching. He had an opportunity to work for the Herb Brooks Foundation for around seven years. Um, and then he transitioned out of that. And a friend of his, Mike McMillan, um, uh, who's a hockey guy, coaches yep. now at Hamlin, um, he, he said to my dad, he said, hey, why don't you come watch these sled guys? Um, and my dad uh, is like, uh, okay, why? Or what, 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 what's your, you know, he just said, I want you to see this. And um, my dad had previously in his life when he was playing senior men's hockey, broke his neck. He, he was in his 30s. He went for a puck. The guy gave him a shot, and he ended up breaking a C1, C2. Um, and he was out of commission. He was face down. He got red last rights. Um, he got through it. Uh, he was able to walk. He was able to be a normal person again. And he always felt blessed from that. And there was always a part of him where he wanted to give back in a different way. Um, so anyway, Mike McMillan takes him to this sled game. Mm-hmm. And my dad's going, wow, these guys are they are pretty good. Like, you know, it's in Minnesota. I don't know where it was rank-wise. But um, he goes in after and he meets these guys. And um, he's impressed just on, on them and how they played. And he walks in and he, he met a guy that we know now. And, and the gentleman who we met had, you know, two legs, um, you know, two prosthetics. Um, and they're, you know, they're changing from their sled and putting their prosthetics on. And my dad goes, well, what do you guys, uh, what do you guys do? Like, what do you do after the game? Or what, how do you guys hang out or what? And they look at my dad like, this guy's like, well, what are you talking about? Like, we have beer after the game. We hang out. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, we're, we're hockey players too. Don't, right. don't, don't, don't treat us like that. Don't ask that. Right. But he didn't my, know, right? He had no idea. No, he was trying to be respectful. And they looked yeah. at him like, well, we respect that you coach, but we play our game hard too. And um, I think that just, my dad, he, it just triggered a, you know what, there could be an opportunity here to help people and create a foundation financially um, for people that, A, are already playing, but people never thought they could play again, who've been through, um, you know, have been through adversity. Um, the sled was, was the first, um, I think, initial one that got it going the military part um, huge huge and and that was another sector that came in um you know and then special hockey is another thing that's incredible uh a lot of kids with special needs are on teams now um and then blind hockey is the latest that's come in which is amazing Um, we just we helped uh edina's bantam team do a huge fundraiser this year for blind hockey and the way they brought the have you ever seen the puck for blind hockey Yes, yeah. it's so cool. Belt. It's amazing, and we were and like rattling. A- we had it on our show. We were rattling it. We kind of just helped yeah. promote the whole weekend for those Edina Bantams. They did some amazing stuff, you know. And it's and thank you for doing it, and also for them, like that perspective they get. I mean, it's just a whole new appreciation for a what you do and b helping other people and um, just all these kids. They're they're proud to be on a team, boys, girls, um, and they got a group. They got a locker room. Think of the military guys that have been in, in war, like different battles and different places. And, and for them, they can have relief in a room and another guy's been through what he's been through. We don't understand that. And so the Henderson foundation has basically created um, a, a financial opportunity to help these programs grow. And within that, 
you have unbelievable people that are leaders to every sector um, as they grow. But the neatest thing is they've grown. Um, and since my dad's passed away, my brother's taken over his role as yep. uh, executive director, and he's done a great job. But there's a lot a great of energy, board. doesn't he? He's got a lot of energy. Um, he's he's got some similarities to my dad, um, which are good. And uh, but just the board of people that have been brought on from day one, that's what makes it happen. You, you get good people, you have a good vision and you do it right. And I think that's what's happened. And it's it's affected people's lives. Um, and, and, and the only in no words, there's just no words you can use for seeing the emotion of families and kids. And uh, it's been really cool. My takeaway, and I love it. I'm on the website right now. And the, 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 the headline of hockey is for everyone just speaks volumes, doesn't it? It's huge. And it is. And I think um, it, it's about what you can do, not what you can't do. Um, and a lot of these kids who thought, you know, they had they were limited or they were told they can't. Now they're, they're told you can. And they're on the ice and they're they're they're, you know, they're, they just have a whole different mindset. And um, it's so important. And I I've tried to be in a support role as much as I can with what I'm doing as right. well as the rest of our family. And um, it's just been awesome um, to see. The difference or just the kids that are involved and, and not just the kids, the families that now have other parents and now they have um, a bond and and it's positive. Well, this has been a really positive hour with you, Darby. And I, I go back. I Pat O'Connor is a mutual friend of ours. Scott Bell is a mutual friend of ours. And both of them speak so highly of you. And I, and I kind of ribbed you a little bit when we got on the phone. And, and you said, uh, well, it's the golden rule, Tony. If you you want to treat people the way you want to be treated. And, and uh, I can see with the Hendrickson Foundation and everything else you've, you've had your hand in, uh, the golden rule is that life has been really good to you. You're right. And thank you. Thank, fun to be on. Um, but you're right. Treating people how you want to be treated is is that's what you learn from. That's what I learned from my dad and my mom. And, um, and that's what you try and teach your kids. And that, and that's what make life fun when, when you're around good people, whether it's in the game, uh, or different parts of life and, uh, treating people is important. I've had a lot of fun with you, Darby. Uh, thanks to our sponsor, uh, lots and lots of pizza for their participation in this. And I, uh, look forward to seeing around the rink. Thanks, Tony. Look forward to it as well. All right. We're here with Darby Hendrickson and on the lots of matzo pizza podcast.